if you look at a child in in nature and, and maybe even remember in your own life, looking at the butterflies rolling in the mud and playing in the water, what happens in those experiences is absolutely profound. It solidifies your orientation to the world. The world's a magical place. It's incredible. It's endlessly amusing. It, it erupts your imagination. If you lived in a healthy culture, you would have that at birth. But most people go through their whole lives where nature is just this alien, anxiety-provoking thing. Hey, 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 so glad you're here. This is Tracking Yes, and you are exactly where you're meant to be. I'm your host, Liz Wilson, coach, creator, and round-the-clock philosopher. And this, my friends, is where the magic happens. Join me and my guests for stories that will inspire you to dial up your curiosity, fine-tune your courage and wisdom, and create an empowered relationship with whatever's happening now. My guest today is nature-based soul guide, Doug Van Houten, and we dive into a fascinating exploration of how in our culture we have lost touch with our innate wild relationship with the natural world and how coming back into that relationship brings us back home to our deepest sense of meaning and purpose. Doug, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Yay. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. So excited. We met in a six-week online course that I took that Animus offers to prepare you for going on a vision quest or a vision fast. And I, I just love your capacity to speak to some pretty complex concepts. So I'm really looking forward to our call today. And I just want to start by giving the listeners some context. Animus Valley Institute was founded by Bill Plotkin, who I've mentioned in previous episodes. And if you don't know who he is and want to know more, you can find lots about him just by Googling him. And I'll also link once again in the show notes to his website. Animus Valley was founded by him over 30 years ago. And the the purpose and the primary driving force of it is to support people in soul initiation or soul encounter, meaning to have them get deeply enough in touch with their own soul and their own real purpose for being here, that they then naturally engage in the world and live lives that are participatory, that are uh, an expression of and a contribution to a life-sustaining, life-enhancing world. And you have been a guide for them for several years and take people on these journeys into the wilderness to experience soul encounter. And and that's what I'm really interested in talking about with you today is both that work that you're doing and, and exploring Bill's nature-based map of the psyche that is a structure for reclaiming archetypal aspects of self that have been completely suppressed in our culture at the expense of our wholeness and our sense of interconnection with everything. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So my first question, and I'm, I'm coming out of the, out of the gate swinging, I'm coming with a yeah. big one here. What 
what do you consider to be the biggest challenges that we face as a species? And how does soul craft work prepare you as an individual to offer something in response to these challenges? Oh my goodness. Yeah. Big, huge question. You did come out with the big one, one of the big ones. Yeah. Um, Gosh, I think the biggest challenge probably is saving as many ecosystems and species as we can. We know already baked into the system is what? Three degrees of temperature rise, and we're not slowing down at all. Three degrees makes organized life very hard. Four degrees, almost impossible. So we're on the precipice of, of, of a catastrophe, right? So that's probably the most important thing. But in the long term, in a sense, our work is like, well, how do we help people to mature psychologically and spiritually? What does that look like? So that there are systems, rites of passage, and all kinds of things in place that help people to do that, to mature and to become what we call full, authentic adults. In a way, we've stalled out in an adolescence collectively. Yeah. How, because that's such an interesting thing to say, and I want to refer back to, because I mentioned this in the first podcast episode I did where I introduced finding you guys, and if you guys want to listen to that one, it's called Trusting the Disruptive Energy of Change, Part 3. It's this concept of first adulthood and adolescent agent for self versus second adulthood. Mm -hmm. How does one recognize that they are still living in the world as an adolescent. Right, right. Well, you know, they would have to ask some good questions. <laughs> but that's what you're asking me. Such um, as, yeah. Like, do you, do you, are you really authentic? Do you really know what you think and believe and feel? You know, we live in a very uh, consumer conformist culture. While so many of us pride ourselves as being individualistic, it's in a very narrow bandwidth of acceptable, some people conform, some rebel, but most are conformist. And so do you know authentically what you're feeling, what you're thinking, what you long for? Do you, do you know what your imagination is dreaming up and your visionary part? Do you know what you're here for? Do you have a sense, uh, a healthy sense of eroticism and, and sexuality? Good access to upper world practices, good access to underworld practices, good nurturing generative self, right? You know, that that's what's definitely needed to move into adulthood. You're you're good at that. Right. And we'll get into this a bit more, but just context for the listeners once again, underworld practices and upper world practices. If you don't know what that means, upper world practices are meditation and yoga and spirituality that connects you with a sense of oneness and underworld practices are shadow work and going into trauma and going into the ego distortions and and coming into your own agency through reclaiming subverted parts of self and i want to highlight what you said about one of the ways that an adolescent self manifests in the world is a lack of authenticity. And you beautifully describe that. And what I've seen in, in my work with myself and with my clients, one aspect of really embodying your adult is it's trusting. It, it's mm. that the, in order to be a nonconformist, 
You've got to mm. trust your own, what makes sense for me, what I'm imagining, right. what, what my urges are, what my impulses are temp tempered with discernment, of course, but, but that capacity to be able to trust yourself feels like a huge part of authenticity. Exactly. You know, like I said, it's like, you know, what you're feeling and what's true and real, you present yourself authentically to the world you know, what's real and you, and you move in the world authentically. Yeah. So now, now comes courage. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Cause you're, you get the goods when you conform. If you're, if you're, if you're stepping outside of that, you could be in a whole lot of trouble, right? Yeah. Okay. So the, the courage and the trust and the self-awareness and the mm. willingness to not conform, that is gives you authenticity is a part mm -hmm. of being a mature adult. We would say actually a healthy adolescent, but I mentioned it at the, at the beginning of our conversation because it, it's what get, helps us to get into a healthy adulthood okay. by accomplishing these tasks. It felt worthwhile mentioning these. Those, th there's a lot of people who don't succeed in this and they've stalled out in early adolescence could we, yeah. do you think, is it safe to say if you are conforming, you mm -hmm. are still in your adolescence? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. and, and so, so because, because I want to tie in what you said about belonging in the world, belonging to like the reason that you guys are initiating mm. these Western modern culture practices is to help people return home mm -hmm. almost, or come, come back to an understanding that they belong to the world. So say more about what that means. Yeah, that's, that's sort of one of the, the things that just happens no matter what you're doing. When you come to any of our programs, we call it, Bill calls it eco- awakening okay that so many of us live on this earth but we don't we understand intellectually that we're from earth that we live on earth but so many of us have not had the experience of a somatic emotional spiritual breakthrough if you will if you lived in a healthy culture you would have that at birth but most people go through their whole lives where nature is just this alien anxiety provoking thing. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but I think underlying that that's true. And all of the tasks that, you know, are needed in a, in, a, in a human, half of them need to be done in nature. And our culture does almost none of those. And our developed model, models leave all of that out. Nature is just not even a part. Therapy leaves nature out. You know, Bill has a great model, the soul-centric developmental wheel that paints a portrait of what, how he believes that nature intended for us to mature through eight stages of a life. And in each stage, there are nature tasks and there are tasks that need to happen in culture. If they don't happen, it sets you up for depression, ADHD, obesity, all kinds of stuff. Most of us right now, people are, their kids aren't in nature at all. There's scholastic, there's getting ahead, their, their schedule is all routine, sports, music, indoor, 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 indoor. Phone, computer. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. See, and then they don't learn about presencing, being present even. 
Yeah. You know, and well, so because I love what you said about one of your tasks in middle childhood is to learn how to be in an enchanted relationship yeah. with the natural world. Well, like if you look at a child in, in nature and, and maybe even remember in your own life, looking at the butterflies rolling in the mud and playing in the water, what happens in those experiences is absolutely profound. It solidifies your orientation to the world. The world's a magical place. It's incredible. It's endlessly amusing. It, it erupts your imagination. You know, nature, our psyches longed for a wild earth. If we don't get it, it will set us up for depression, ADHD, obesity, all kinds of stuff, right? An alienation more than anything. So people come to our programs and they, they have this eco awakening. Almost all people do. They just blows their socks off. Like, oh my God, I belong here. Wow. I'm from earth. <laughs> I always knew that, but I didn't, I didn't feel it here in my body, in my heart, and in my spirit, in my tears, in my grief. You know, they they it's like I I they come home to earth and it's profound. Yeah, that's not our main work, but that's one of the beautiful things that happens. <laughs> yeah, and, and I'm really yeah. seeing how you're saying that that's that's one of our tasks as a human being mm -hmm. here. That's and and give us a couple other tasks because you said like half our tasks are we require nature and we're completely disconnected. Right. Well, like stage four is huge. This is this is where almost nobody gets to either. It is a crossing into the mysteries of nature and psyche. It's to wander in the natural world in a numinous, uh, you could say even mystical state, if you will with the goal of what we call soul encounter. Those high psychic moments when something gets whispered in your ear, like an artist gets things whispered in their ear in a way, a vision, a revelation. The mystics talk about this. The ecstatics, Rumi, they all talk about it. Indigenous people talk about this. Jung talks about this. And so there you're exploring nature in a big way. Is this where cross-species communication comes into play? It, it definitely does so much, much more in this phase for moderns anyways. Exactly. Yeah, across, the communication across species is being in dialogue with the natural world. And so at Animus, most of our work is inviting people out on wanders to be in conversation. It's, it's, a, it's a dialogue between your own psyche and the beings are the places on the earth. And it takes deep imagination. And, and you hear yourself saying things that you didn't know were true about yourself. You learn things about yourself uh, when you reinstall yourself in the, in the natural world. There's an intelligence that the planet has and that these beings have that in some way, they're trying to communicate that to us. And being in conversation with our deep imagination and our emotions, our psyche translates the conversation. Our muse translates the conversation. Our ancestors used to do this. Modern people, we've totally, you're, you're considered wacko. Well. If you do this. 
And, and well, I, so I want to ask a question on behalf of the audience, because I'm imagining that some people who have not had this experience, Mm -hmm. like let's let, okay, let's take someone who's not skeptical, somebody who's open, but has never had Mm -hmm. this experience. And like, I, I would imagine here's my experience of it. Mm. At, at first I go out, I think, okay, I'm going to go wander in nature. I'm going to have a dialogue with nature. And I feel like me, the human, the only one who's capable of actually having a conversation and putting mm-hmm. words together. Right. But I'm going to go see if maybe a rock will talk to me or a tree will talk to me or something, but it feels kind of like you're on the surface layer, like walking around out there mm-hmm. in your brain, Right. Yeah. So I, I'm curious what you could offer people of how how do you orient yourself mm. to truly be someone who could be in a cross species communication type of. Right. Probably the first thing I want to say is it takes practice and and maybe a lot, but but we know how to do this. If you go with an open heart, a supple body and vulnerable, you know, and you're in conversation with these beings, you know, and in that conversation, you know, part of me might be making it up. And and we say, go on and make it all up until you hear yourself saying something you didn't make up. Yeah. You know, and often your emotions will drop into your body. You'll have an an, an awareness about it that you know something was just said that was was profoundly true right because yeah. you know it gets back to this other thing about like the thinking mind's not the only window of knowing we've yeah we've thrown out you know the real you could say master as einstein said which is our imagination the thinking mind is the servant to the imagination so we want to help people at animus we help people cultivate their deep imagination and it takes a while to do this. And after you do this, it just becomes natural. You're out on the land and you're having conversations and you hear things. And sometimes what it is, is you're hearing your own soul whispering in your ear in that conversation. You know, Mm -hmm. something that your conscious self was ready to hear. And it got mirrored somehow by that being on the land or touched somehow by that being on the land. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Let, let me let me share something with you, and then I, I'd love to hear mm-hmm. you, you reflect on it. So, I was out walking a couple days ago, and there was there were two trees, a big tree and a small tree, um, mm. side by side. And I was standing, just running my hands on the branches of the big tree because they were these huge boughs, right? And just feeling the texture and thinking, wow, big, healthy, this big, healthy tree with these big, healthy boughs. And then I wandered off. And when I came back, was I was walking back home, I looked and I went, oh, the big tree is 90% dead. These mm. huge thriving boughs are the smaller tree wrapping itself around, like completely around the big tree, so much so that it looked like the branches were coming out of the big tree. Uh, and mm-hmm. and I want to share kind of what I cycled through because the first thought was love, companionship, protection. Those mm-hmm. were the gut feelings that I got. That's what's happening here. And mm-hmm. then as I'm walking away, I'm like, or is it 
exploitive and opportunistic. <laughs> mm. I'm like, what? wow, that's interesting. And then the third thought was, or is it just a neutral taking up the space that's available? And then I realized, well, these are all very different interpretations of the same thing that came to me. So you right. already have something to say. So dive in there. What right. Do you well, it could be any one of those three, you know, because one of the things we help people to do is have a, a reciprocal relationship with the natural world, not a usury. But my sense is the natural world wants to hear the human voice in conversation, just like we want to hear the bird song. All of nature wants to hear the bird song. They want humans to be in conversation with them as well. But we, but often what we do is we say, just like when you greet a friend at the door, you wouldn't go, let me tell you about me. You would offer something up first. Hey, how's your day? Yeah. You know, and then you'd say, hey, can I tell you about me? Mm. And, and that's what we, we suggest that people do with the natural world, you know, and hear inside yourself if this being is open to it or not. And again, that comes down to the practice thing and this trust. So offer something first and then, you know, that that'll help open that conversation. Right. A mutually uh, a reciprocal a relationship. Yeah. yeah. And, and again, it could have been like that tree may not be experiencing what you assumed it was experiencing or, or felt that it was. And whether the tree was or not, what did it evoke in you? Right. Your yeah. own soul. You saw something out there that touched you internally and go with that. Go with that. Yeah. And and I think the thing that I would say that most touched me was the the complete um, contrast of love, companionship, protection, exploitation, mm -hmm. opportunistic. Bam! They just came in back mm -hmm. to back. It's like, well, that's complex. There's there's a lot mm -hmm. in there, right? What's it like mm -hmm. to hold space for all those possibilities together? So I see what you're saying. Like it's yeah. like it's whatever. If you go walk in nature. And whatever occurs to you, whatever you notice is significant. Trust that as it, it's significant. Exactly. Because here's the other great thing is that nature is pure imagination. Okay. I would really love it if you would define, in your words, the word imagination. Well, let me just also first say that nothing happens that isn't dreamt or imagined first. How could it be? There had the seed had an image of itself. The the caterpillar in caterpillar soup, the biologists call it the imaginal buds come on the scene that have an image of the imago self of the butterfly and knows how to put that soup back together to shape into the imago self that goes off and pollinates the world. That's the same with humans. We get into our imago self, we go off and pollinate the world. That's we'll come back to that. Um, but yeah, imagination, you know, especially for humans, image is the root word of imagination. The soul speaks to the ego mainly in images. Imagination is not coming from our, our uh, rational thinking mind at all. Not at all. And so whatever images are being offered up, they're rife with meaning. It's nature imagining through us. You could say the earth dreaming through us. 
and it's our psyches. It's 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 conveying to us through our psyches, and it and the psyche translates it into symbol or metaphor that my ego or everyday consciousness can can grok. Oh, a symbol. Oh, wow. Because you know it's not going to not necessarily going to speak in English or Portuguese, right? Right. It's image, symbol, metaphor emotion often these kinds of things to me this is this is the divine dropping down something wants to be embodied right yeah so imagery is a translator between yes the 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 cosmos the mm-hmm. natural world and humans who speak in the in words image I think is it's, yeah i think it's how evolution works I, I don't think anything happens again that hasn't been imagined or dreamt first. That the that the cosmos is just one large uh, imaginal imagination event, if you will. If we have it, it's it's at least latent in everything else, at least if not even more well developed. In fact, I would say humans, our imagination is way underdeveloped. Yeah, like because we can't we can't communicate, we can't hear our own visions and our own dreams. Well, that's just nonsense, right? We fell into our heads all these thousands of years and we're paying the price for it. We're, we're destroying the planet because our imagination is not rooted in the natural world and in a mutually enhancing relationship and not in touch with our instincts and all kinds of stuff. I knew oh. I, threw out, I threw out a lot out there, but well, yeah. yeah, it's like we've stopped having the conversation because the conversation happens through imagination, mm. and so we've stopped having the like. That's what I yeah. hear you saying. We've stopped yeah. having the conversation with the natural world, so we're not hearing it. We're not even listening. We don't even care. We're just right. like, I'm the human doing what the human wants to do, and I'm not in that conversation. I, I don't even know the language. I don't even know how to have that conversation, and so we're trotting all over it right we're we are we are not uh mutually enhancing we are not even sustainable we are destroying and we have probably for thousands of years because we have we have stalled out in a kind of adolescence for thousands of years and we don't even know it we there's been a decay in human development for thousands of years because we've lost uh, rites of passage. We don't have in place processes, practices, models that help us to mature psycho-spiritually, psychologically and spiritually one stage at a time. And that's what Bill's book, The Soul-Centric Developmental Wheel, is about, is what how he believes that's how nature intended for that to happen. So yeah, we stalled out in an adolescence, but it's even worse than that. It's a pathological adolescence where we're the, the species is now at risk. In fact, everything's at risk now. And when you say pathological adolescence, do you mean because it's so self-referenced that it it's it, it's yeah. not even not even taking responsibility for harmful impact? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. We're dangerous. Yeah. We're dangerous to self and others and all the other species. We're wiping them out. The, the, we're, we're well on our way into the sixth greatest extinction spasm. We're shutting down 
the life systems of the planet, we've this climate catastrophe, you know, is we're, we're in, we're in a, a, a troubled place. Right. And so again, at Animus, we're interested in how do we help people to become fully human and find out why they're here and where's their ultimate place of belonging. Cause wherever that is, it's going to be where your great joy and the great, the earth's great need intersects. Yeah. It's going to be what the earth needs. Right. Cause it dreamt it. It imagined it through you. And if you, your psyche tunes in, you find the vision, the revelation or a series of images, a network of images that define what you're about. Think of, of Jesus wandering into the secret laboratories of the wilds for 40 days and 40 nights, lamenting about the suffering of his people, having dreams and visions about how to repair the world, coming back to his people with a boon, his full voice. Buddha under the tree, Muhammad in the cave, all these indigenous people for millennia have been doing this. They knew what it, what it took to be, become an adult and even an elder in the culture. Yeah. And how would you define an elder? This is somebody uh, who's holding the whole thing up, like the old growth trees in the rainforest. There's all these understudies, these underlings coming up, and they're shouldering. The elders shoulder what's happening in the world. They would be the ones right now leading us. We have politicians. In a healthy culture, we'd have elders running it, you know, who are not just connected to the corporate sector. You know, they're run, they're run by higher ideas, you could say. But they're guiding the whole thing. They have, they have a, a universe-centric view, a long view of evolution, seven generations, right? And, and they're, they're also the ones who are running the initiation rites. The, and, you know, an elder is more of a, a state of being. Elders are not doing so much anymore in the world. It's more like they're tuning forks for us, mm. like Joanna Macy. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You get in front of them and you connect to your wholeness and all kinds of stuff because they help tune you up, if you will, their beauty and truth. And, and again, they're not like adults in Bill's model. They're the ones out doing, raising kids, doing their soul work, uh, living their vision into the world, you know, never before seen fruit, delivering that to the world, right? Elders move into a transition of away from that into it's just a state of being. But it, it's a holding state of being. Mm, it holds, mm -hmm. like I loved how you said that. So yeah. elders hold the all of it. Their gift is grace. Mm. First stage is real involved with the initiation rites of elderhood. The second is you're moving back to spirit. You can feel them starting to leave. Back to the mystery. Yep. Okay, I, I, I'm going to tie this back to because we're, what we're tracking here is mm. the 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 Earth is falling apart, the planet's falling mm. apart, filled with adolescents running around mm -hmm. doing first adulting, adolescent oriented things, running and, everything, 
pretty much. Yeah. yeah making all the choices. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, and, and what you're saying is what's needed is people to psycho spiritually mature because mm -hmm. when they do, it's going to shift their whole orientation and they're going to stop making adolescent type choices. And they're going to mm -hmm. offer something that is greater than an adolescent offering. You've got that, it. Yeah. Oh, essentially. Okay. Yeah. 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 And, and so then, so then my question is how does the average person who thinks that their life is very real, like mm -hmm. my, my house and my kids and my car and my job and my, my bank account. And that's all very, very real. How, how do they come to perceive the illusory quality of first adulthood? Mm -hmm. Right. God, that's a great question. Yeah. How to, how to parse it out. Usually people don't pierce through that veil. They usually don't pierce through that veil until kind of a hardship. Mm. You know, you're, if you're a frog in a hot water, you don't know it's getting hotter. You don't know you're in danger, right? You don't know what you don't know in some sense. But yeah, like if, but if I was somebody listening and I was like wondering, well, how do I fit into what he's talking about? One of the things I'd, I'd uh, probably ponder myself is, you know, where's my center of gravity? What are the things I'm interested in? Do I know why I'm here? Why am I here? Like, I mean, on a deep level, destiny kind of like, what's my purpose in life? Do I really know? And is it anchored in the more than human world? Well, okay. So what about, what about someone says, well, my purpose is like, I have three kids and my purpose is to mm. uh, raise my kids and help them grow up in the world. And that's my purpose, right? And make sure that the mortgage gets paid and the mm -hmm. family gets fed. And that's my purpose. Well, and, and that's a beautiful life. It's a beautiful life. And not in not criticizing at all, but but on Bill's model, we would put that in early adolescence. Those are the things that you you learn in early adolescence. And, and on our model, once you get your whole house in order, your first house, James Hollis talks about there's the first adulthood set. This is a different model, but anyways, you get your house in order, you get your ego life complete. And now it's just like a like a like a caterpillar goes through a lot of moltings. It reaches it reaches a point where now it must go on a journey, a kind of death, into a vision of its imago self. And so we would say with people that now you're eligible for a descent to soul, where we invite you off on a wander, a spiritual odyssey, a pathless wander, to like Jesus and Buddha to find a vision of who you are in your imago self, your second adulthood. And, and, in, and once you hit that vision, you're on fire because now you know you're, you're, you've entered a profound period. And this is even in healthy cultures, this happens, but I mean, put it in context of our culture, boats going down. Do you wanna just stay home and watch TV? I don't, I don't think so. I hope you don't choose that. I yeah. hope you get on fire and find where's your ultimate place of belief of belonging, because we really need all hands on deck. Right. Yeah. All hands on deck, please. Or boats going down. 
Yeah. And the ultimate place of belonging, that, that's just such an interesting, like you've said that several times, and it, it's like if you, if you haven't grasped it or experienced it, my ultimate place of belonging. So on a, on a vision fast, mm-hmm. you're leading people to go walk right into that place of belonging almost. Is that right? How would you put well, it? Yeah, like all of our programs really and in, in tightened on a vision fast is to have experiences through practices and wanders that we have and processes and ceremonies, et cetera, to circumda- circumnavigate everyday consciousness, to, to hear the deeper stream, the depths of my psyche, because I could live on the surface forever in egos conforming to each other and cultures getting shallower and shallow. That's what's happening. We live in an egocentric culture. People are living on the surface of their psyches. An adult lives in the depths. Mm. What is my own psyche dreaming and imagining and wanting to give birth to? It's evolutionary, revolutionary, and visionary. That's what we, we want to do. And that's what in these, these cultures that are participatory, we live in a dominator culture. We've wiped out all the initiation rites. But in the cultures... Rain Eisler talks about this in Chalice and the Blade. The participatory cultures, they know. Go find out why you're here. The culture strays. We need the medicine you find out there. We need need people who have one foot in culture and one in nature to be fully human. We We need nature's news too, not just human news. And especially look at our news. It's just so pitiful. (laughs) We don't even get the good news that people are doing around the world. You know, all the great stuff people are doing about new systems they're dreaming and imagining up and all kinds of possibilities. You know, we kind of just get this other thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really feeling this. I I love everything you just said in that increasingly shallow culture. And that's, that's certainly what our news is a reflection of. Mm -hmm. It's reporting from the shallowness of culture. Yeah. Any news channel that you turn on is, is not taking you into any depth about anything. Right. It's ratings driven. And that's, again, that's adolescent. That's adolescent. (laughs) If elders were in that news station, they would not put up with that. (laughs) they would not put up with that this is not news this is this is pathological the whole thing is is designed unconsciously i'm not blaming anybody but the whole thing is designed to keep us adolescent a good consumer you know adults and elders are not real interested in a big consumer life you know like a caterpillar is uh, a butterfly consumes less and pollinates the world. A mm. true elder and adult would be doing the same thing. Yeah, you might ask somebody that question. Are, how are you pollinating the world? Are you a big consumer? What are your dreams saying? Tell, really tell me your deepest, what, your, what is your deepest longing? Ask people these deep questions. That a lot of people, that'll break them out of sort of that consumer trance the cult of progress that Jung called it, or the matrix, right? Take the, take the red pill. Yeah. Well, that actually brings us to vision fast because take the red pill is the waking up to a potentially unsettling or life-changing truth. 
is the realm of of going on a vision fast or vision quest. And I'm imagining that most of the listeners may not know what a vision fast or a vision quest is. So, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about that. Yeah, you know, for us, a vision fast is a contemporary embodiment of the pan-cultural wilderness rite that people go on that are seeking a deeper meaning or purpose in their life, or they're seeking a soul or an encounter with their with their purpose. Or some people come looking for their mythopoetic identity, a poetic way of saying, what's my mission statement in life? The vi- our vision fast takes the form of a ceremonial descent to soul. And, and it's, uh, uh, you know, six days together of lots of ceremonies and practices and dream work and shadow work and wandering on the land and deep imagery and artwork, all kinds of stuff for open, helping people open up more and more and more. And then it and then it culminates with a three day fast, and it's a solo you by yourself out on on the land for three days and three nights, in deep ceremony, fasting, drinking water though, right, praying for a vision, coming home to the earth. And uh, the the coda called it humblecha, the lament. <clears throat> Remember, Buddha went out because he was lamenting the suffering of his people. Jesus too. Most people, you know, lamenting is a huge part of it. We're often struck by the lamenting that people do and the dreams and visions that they would have about repairing the world. I want to take a moment to read something about lamenting. Mm -hmm. So, and this is from Soulcraft, I believe. Mm -hmm. Lament and longing. An unrestrained lament Mm. is a crowbar into the dark depths of the self. It is daring to gaze into the bottom of your unprotected heart. First, you will hit the demons of what is unsettled or wrong in your life. But it becomes a recognition that the adolescent personality can't take you further. So I'm almost feeling the longing is Mm -hmm. to grow up. Perhaps that's part of the longing is to Mm -hmm. be more fully realized, whatever other form the longing might take. Um, and so I'm, I'm curious that if that's what longing is, and you're saying a vision fast is the lament, it's the cry for a vision, the call for a vision. Yes. Mm-hmm. And the longing, I think you named it too. That's partly the longing and the grief and crisis. Usually what gets us there is a crisis and a longing and grief comes along yeah. with both of those. Right. Yeah. Like, Mm -hmm. how have we gotten so, I'm not even sure what the right word is, so separated from our longing? Mm. Or how has it gotten so deeply buried? Or like, how would you put it? Right. Well, well, and here's the big picture. This probably puts a lot of our, our difficulties in perspective in the sense that we no longer, kind of back to that thing, we no longer have models, rites of passage that help us to mature and cultivate and develop and to know who we are fully. Where most of us, most of us is in the shadow. Remember, we don't know it about ourselves. 
and we we long to recover it. That's the deep longing. You kind of touched that earlier. There's this longing to know more, to taste, to be more fully alive, invigorated, belonging, authentic, visionary, gifting, connected. Right. And and so here's the thing. Don, here's a big picture. Dominator cultures, when they go into a culture, they wipe out the rites of passage. They wipe out the elders and they wipe out those who are 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 leading those rites of passage. So a culture stays adolescent. And we have ten thousand, tens of thousands of years of that now where, like I'm saying, there's a decay that has set in now. And why? why would you want to hold a culture in adolescence? Well, you know, think about it, you know, like we were saying earlier, you're a better consumer, you're, you're easier to absorb, you know, if the elders aren't there, then the young ones, they, they don't have, they're not anchored into stuff yet. You know, it's easier to get young people to do what you want them to do, right. Or, or, or adolescence people, right. People that are really rooted in who they are, you're not going to absorb them very easily, right? So if you if you keep and plus it's it's dangerous as well. If you have people who are fully human, their imaginal self is alive, their muse is alive, they're dreaming and imagining evolutionary, revolutionary, and visionary things. That's dangerous to a consumer culture that's hell-bent on selling you products and keeping you in a state that wants more of that. Don't ever be satisfied. It always comes outside of you. Turn all of your wants into needs, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's a big picture kind of thing. And 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 you said that that leads to things like depression and addiction and mm-hmm. um and, and is it is it yeah. why? Why do you say that leads to that? Yeah, and I'm not saying I'm not an expert on those issues. And I'm not saying I know all about that. So I don't want to portray that. But I think generally, most of those things are what you might call garden variety, uh, addiction or anxiety, which is probably most people, you know, if you're not living in the world with your potential, if you're not living your gifts into the world, your own unique self animated self, if you're not engaged, if your muse isn't flowing, if you're not living a muse-directed life, you're, if you're living a life of who you think you ought to be, you're going to be depressed. Think about a lion in a cage or in a zoo. They're probably all depressed. Think about a human that you don't allow to become fully human in a wild earth with all of their facets of wholeness flowing. We actively suppress the imagination in this culture, the muse. We actively suppress the South on Bill's model, you know, the nature-based map of the human psyche. We suppress the wild, uh, indigenous feeling, emotive one. The, the wild one in us would not have an appetite for what's going on on this planet, would be outraged. That we're not out on the streets is telling. Because we're again, we're not fully human. We're not. We're not. Most of us are not making it into a healthy, uh, embodied human. Even in that, even in that, in Bill's model, at early adolescent, we're not making that healthy. Only about half of us are embodying that 
in some decent way, you could say, but the other half is almost totally egocentric and unable to access even the basic developmental needs, right? Well, now I'm really seeing that because we're talking about the crisis, the climate crisis and the species crisis. Mm -hmm. And, but there's also, I'm, I'm feeling right now in a way that I never quite have before the crisis of all of these adolescents who are not fully developing psychologically and spiritually mm -hmm. and emotionally. And so if, if that's more and more and more and more of that is happening, then our, our capacity to be mature, psychologically, spiritually, emotionally, well-developed humans is going into extinction in threat, in threat is, of going into extinction. Yeah, we are. We are. Wow. Yeah, I think we are. I mean, because look at the trajectory we, we're on. I mean, it, it's pretty, it's very serious. If you listen to some people, you know, they talk about the climate, you know, there's a question mark with three degrees already built in and another two or three degrees coming because of what we're doing like right now today, increasing the carbon in the air. See, elders wouldn't have, wouldn't put up with this, mm. but we don't have elders running anything in this world, almost nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm curious what your personal sense is being doing the work that you do in the world. Um, is there any hope left? Not will we get there, but is there any hope at all that we might even get there? Honestly, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know that question, but, but I'm like Joanna Macy, who, if you don't know her work, you should check it out. She's an earth elder. She, she says that we must act as if what we're doing is going to make all the difference in the world. Mm. If you, if you say it's too late and nothing I do is going to make any difference, I'm not doing anything. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. So my sense is show up magnificently, Ooh. no matter what's going, going to go down. Yeah. And let's see. But the more people we can get to become more embodied in their wholeness, you know, Bill's model, the nature-based map of the psyche, that's another map of like, here's all the archetypes you cultivate to become fully human. If we could even get a healthy adolescence, that might be our only ch chance right now, is, is for that kind of grace. I would love to hear you speak more to the archetypes. So Bill Plotkin identified these archetypes of what it means, these aspects of self that are in the shadow, that if we fully recover them, they're common to all people. And if we recover mm -hmm. them, then we come back into wholeness. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's a good way. Yeah. That's one way of saying it. Yeah. 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 So, so yeah, I'd love to hear you speak to what the archetypes are and, and say a little bit about each of them. I will. Yeah. Let me give a big picture about that first is that Bill cultivated this map. It's a nature-based map of the human psyche, and it's built on the four cardinal directions of north, south, east, and west. And each of those, there is also the time of day and the season. So like in the east, the sun rises. And here he has the innocent sage, fool, and trickster. And so you can feel the sun rising up, bringing a new day. 
a new possibility, the new buds in the tree, the cub out of the cave. And so innocence is a foundational archetype that we all need to, to cultivate. Without it, we can't cooperate or be in relationships. We'll be gamey, guile, we'll be cynical and all kinds of stuff. And there it is in nature every day. And the sage, the sun rises up, lights up the sky, and there's the big view of everything. The sage within us, the one who sees the big picture, right? Eagle eye perspective. And, you know, here's also the fool and the trickster in the East. And all four of these archetypes, we want to develop all four of these. And all four of them are getting to a kind of wisdom of innocence and, and sagiosity, you could say. But they do it in a different way. Like the, like the trickster shakes us, like a like coyote, shakes us up uh, to help us see things in a different way, turns things inside out to get to a kind of wisdom. And then the fool is the one who can embody that innocent oaf who doesn't care what other people think about him. He says the wrong thing, but it's the one thing everybody wanted to hear said. Doesn't care what other people think about him or her. And I mean, it's a really brief, We'll go through this quickly, but but all four of those, the, the Dalai Lama in, embodies all four of those. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Beautifully. Yeah. Now, this East facet of us is connected to the upper world of union with the one, spirit uh, realization. Most people, when you talk about spirituality, that's what they're talking about. Upper world, beyond the commotion of the strategic mind, peace, bliss, harmony, and all that. It's important to develop that. Prayer, meditation, yoga clowning. Well, I want to being in nature. I, I would so love it if you would share your story of because part of soul initiation, <laughs> you know, it's coming because part of the work that you guys support people in doing is recovering these aspects of self. And, and yeah. so how, for example, do I recover the fool? And I remember in our course, you said, well, you could put makeup on your forehead and go to the grocery store and not, and yeah. I'm like, uh, hell no, I'm not doing that. Right. Because I can see how far I am from my fool that I would not be, I care too much what other people would think. Right? right. So, so you design things to kind of help go really go get that part of yourself. And you told a great story about your experience with reclaiming your fool. So I would love it. Oh my gosh. My face is red if you're if you're not if you're only on the audio. <laughs> I actually do love telling the story. It's 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 beautiful, and uh, and this is not what everybody does because it's pretty outrageous. But uh, my guides before I went on my solo fifteen years ago, they could tell that I was a little too uh, uh, uptight, wrapped up in my, you know, being a good boy and everybody liking me and how do I look and, you know, all kinds of stuff. And one of the things they gave me was to go embody the fool. And they said, and think of just the worst thing you can think to do, like the most embarrassing, humiliating thing and go do it. And so when I got on my solo, one of the first things I did was stripped all my clothes off and put my underwear on my head and, and think red hot chili peppers, their album cover with the sock. And I have my drum and I'm running up and down the Canyon banging my drum, you know, I'm a fool. I'm a fool. Look at me. I'm a fool, you know, and, and for you know hours what? you said you did this for hours. Oh, I, I had a lot to work through and, 
And but I have to tell you though, it touched so deeply in me. It touched grief. Oh. Yeah, I got. I can feel it now. It touched grief of like how much investment of not being able to access that quality in myself. What that has cost me in life. Of of overly being overly concerned of, of so many things that have held me back from my wholeness. And I think that's true for all of us. Like if you go so deeply into one of the, each one of these archetypes, you'll learn profound things about yourself of what you have not cultivated yet or tasted yet in your life or what it's cost you not having that capacity on board. Yeah, if you lived in a healthy culture, you would be invited from birth to cultivate these archetypes. It'd be built into the system. You wouldn't even need... Well, you do still have initiation rights, but it'd be built in the system too, right? Yeah. But we don't have that. Well, I love yeah. your story so much. And and I think it's because t- there's a part of, of my like brain that would say, what 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 value is the fool? Like what value is that energy? Um, mm-hmm. but but what I'm really putting together right in this minute is so that thing where you said, oh, one way you guys could play with this is like you could put makeup on your forehead and go to the grocery store and not care what anybody thinks. And I'm like, hell no, I'm not right. doing that. Right. But what I realize right. now is that is the conformist in me. I, exactly. I say that I don't I don't want other people to think weird things about me. Why not? Because I'm trying to conform. Mm-hmm. And so the fool breaks you out of the conformity um, that has been habituated or conditioned into your nature. Yes, exactly, yeah. exactly. And what it costs you. See if you had that part of you developed. Like, well, I don't care what you think. Yeah. I not only will I put makeup on my face, I'll I'll wear clothes that don't match. Yeah. You know, or whatever, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah my coat on backwards, zipped up in the back, or <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know what. Yeah. But just being yeah. willing to do something as a way to reclaim your full energy, meaning to reclaim your nonconformist self. Right, right. Yeah. And the one who'd be more willing to upend culture. Yeah. And convention. Yeah. You will, I don't care if you don't like this. Yeah. I'm speaking my truth. Yeah. Right. Or whatever, right? Yeah. Yeah. So actually yeah. things like that thing that you named or like drumming, drumming with your underwear in your head in the canyon or going to the grocery store, whatever, those things are like, we can do it in safe ways to start to access that part of ourselves again so that we can do it in bigger, scarier ways where it requires a lot of courage. Yeah. 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 Okay. So we've got the East. Yeah. Let's move into the South. And east, east is often associated with uh, spring. The south and the northern hemisphere, we'll just stick with that. The northern gets too confusing to translate it at this point. So in the south would be the wild indigenous one. This would be summer, midday, sun at its zenith. Life is blazing and happening. Youth, the fruit on our trees of wildness, indigenosity, Emotionality, sensuality, eroticism, sexuality, or ripening, coming into fruition. And most of that gets stuck in the shadow or repressed in our culture. Oh, that's all too dangerous to live. Put that in the shadow outside of our awareness. Don't live that. Psycho-spiritually downsize ourselves. But the but this is a beautiful, this is our, our creativity and our passion, the young one. It's a soft animal of our body that loves what it loves 
Yeah. Yeah. It feels like a quite a younger part of self. Would would you say part of our psyche, a younger part of our psyche, the wild indigenous one? Mm-hmm. Or or of our wholeness, maybe, and and in some ways, but we want to cultivate this in a seasoned way so that even as an adult, we can still play in our adult body. You know, we can still be. Uh, authentic, wild is really just another word for authentic. It's not like being deranged and destroying or destructive wild, but it's like being authentic to what's true. Laughing and crying, you know, enchantment lives in the South. Yeah. Enchantment is a, is a quality of the wild indigenous one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cause yeah. I was going to ask you like, what's a way that someone could start to work with recovering that aspect of self from the shadow? Oh, you know, start a love affair with the wild earth. That is really our primary relationship anyways. And it's one of the things we recommend to everybody that comes to an animus program, essentially a full-on love affair with the natural world. Like get out in wild places, the wilder, the better, but it doesn't have to be. It can be your backyard, it can be the park, neighbor's backyard, et cetera. But develop that relationship with the more than human world. Your your psyche longed for that. Your subs hate it. I'm your, not going your out subs, there. Your, your sub means yeah. your sub personalities. Your sub personality, your fragmented wounded parts. Like, uh-uh, I ain't doing that. I'm afraid of that, that stuff. I ain't going there. But but your psyche actually longs for a wild earth and a deep embodied relationship with it and a love affair, really. Yeah. We were meant for that. If more of us were having that love affair, we wouldn't be in this predicament. Yeah. Well, I'm yeah. thinking of a, another interceptor of that beyond, you said we're afraid of it, but sometimes what I'll experience if I go sit in nature to try and have a love affair, cultivate a love, is I'll start to feel bored. Mm, mm. So is that the restlessness of ego or what, like what's going on there? It's probably, yeah, not not slowing down to the pace of nature, uh, not opening up your imagination enough, yeah, not tapping into your emotions and your wild, playful self. Have you ever seen a kid who could not play in nature? <laughs> Have you ever? They are so in touch with so much of their wholeness. They're endlessly fascinated by the wild world. See, we've lost that. Yeah. It's beaten out of us, you could say, or driven out of us. Yeah. It's not important. What's important is producing, consuming, yeah. and doing. But see, then there's something about like listening to your own body. It's like getting out of the head and let your own body lead you, recovering what our bodies really long for, which is a wild earth. They long to go and touch and smell and breathe and swim and be seen and experience the processes and the beauty in nature often. Moving to the West. Yeah, West. Okay. The in the West, it's the the muse, inner beloveds. This is this is uh Animus's specialty. Here the sun is setting off in the distance. It's twilight betwixt, between, mysterious. In the east. The light was out. I see the big picture connecting to the one. Now it's getting dark and I'm staying closer up and I'm noticing, oh, wow, who am I? Like the mystery of my own existence. 
in the West. That's kind of what we're involved with or interested in my own unique place of being, my own story. The West is Bill has the deep imagination here. These are the guides to soul. The East, the guides to the ascent spirit. These are the guides to soul embodiment to the underworld, the muse and the inner beloveds. And uh, they really literally guide us to soul. Like, like the things that I'm amused by, that's connected to soul. How, how come you guys see the spirit as ascent and the soul as descent? Well, you know, I think of like ascent as kind of up and out, yeah. like a tree reaching up and out yeah. to the big picture, seeing the whole thing, wide-eyed, big perspective. Whereas a descent is more down. It's the roots of the tree going down to the center of things. Mm. Mm-hmm. And down into the depths of the psyche. Yeah. The spirit, we're leaving all that behind. We're letting all that go. The personal narrative story, everything, you're letting it all go, merging with the one thing of all things. Yeah. It's up and out. Yeah. Yeah. So this is symbolic, right? Yeah. But but the center of your psyche is down and in, and it's the roots feeling their way in the dark, feeling their way in the dark. Mm. Right. Yeah. Full of emotion and commotion. Soul embodiment is you're embodying something here on earth. You're not letting go as a spirit. I'm letting it all go. Yeah. No story. Yeah. We're all, and if we're all experiencing that, it's the same thing we're experiencing. The one. It's the same thing for all of us. But spirit is here to uniquely embody something. Each of us has our own private song, Mary Oliver says. What is that private song that wants to be sung through you that the earth is dying to hear? Your muse knows what that is. Some call the muse the dream maker in you, but the muse knows you want to live a muse-directed life. That's another thing I would ask somebody who's got the house and the kids and the car. Are you living a muse-directed life? Are you really in touch with your muse? What you really long to bring bring into the world? Well, no, you know. Parents said, go get that job as a lawyer. I did that. Culture said, have four kids. I did that. Get two cars. I did that. Nothing wrong with any of that. I want all that too. But they're not the, But if that's as far and as wide as it goes, I'd be questioning that. Yeah. So anyways. When you say muse, is, is that akin to soul? Yes. Well, it depends on who you talk to. Even different guides at Animus and everybody kind of has their different you know, even about what soul is, people have somewhat different twists to it. And I think that's true. That's good. You should come up with your own, come up with your own definition of soul. Yeah. You know, through, um, through exploration, right? Like yes. through coming to know it. Yes. Oh, now that I've come to know it, now I can tell you what it is. Yeah, exactly. For exactly. Me. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's, it, I think Thomas Berry and Bill Plotkin are right though. It's a biological and uh, uh, ecological place that you were designed to occupy, just like a, a fox mm. knows what it's to, designed and built to live in the in the ecosystem. It knows our psyches know for humans where that is, and the psyche translates it into symbol and image. These are like how the archetypes come together uniquely through you, like a thumbprint and a snowflake. It's all different. Yeah, and I want to know what that is. Yeah. It takes it takes a descent to soul 
We got a we got an extended period of time, like a vision fast. Go off and listen. Make space in my life so I can listen deeply and descend down into the center to hear what my own depths are musing on. Well, this is so important what you're saying. Like you just said, kind of to me, which is the linchpin of it all, is yeah, we don't if we just stay in our regular lives, there is not enough space to go that no. deep. You, you've got to intend and commit and create space to go that deep. You, you're not going to be able to fit it into a few spare half an hour in your days. Like Probably not, though. Jung did it at night. Remember, he did it at night over a 15-year period. Right. He went on his journey. He called them his, his fantasies, his journeys, where he had soul encounters, and he realized what his life was about. He came up with his mythopoetic identity. He lived that into the world. Yeah. He yeah. reminded us of this journey that is archetypal and, and common to all cultures that were healthy. That's why we're so on to this at Animus. This is what healthy cultures have always done. And, and we are wanting to give that life again, that possibility. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So it's, let's say it's, it's conducive to, to create space for it. It supports the depth. If you create mm -hmm. the space for the depth, you could do it in smaller chunks, but if you can create some space, Space where you don't have all the other day-to-day -day concerns of life um, right. calling you. If you can do something that clears that, like go on an animus fast, right? Mm -hmm. Then you're really supporting the capacity to drop in to the depth exactly. and send your roots down. Like you really feel how far do these roots go? And when I hit the end of them, what are they touching and what are right. they surrounded by? And what are they like? I'm just, I love your metaphor. It's so beautiful. Yeah. Well, that's beautiful way you said that. Like, what are they, what are they touching yeah. pointing to? What are they pointing to? What are they making contact with? Yeah. And again, the earth is living something different through each one of us. Some song, like Mary Oliver says, some different song. Yeah. So let's go to the north. Yeah. Okay. So the west is autumn. The north is is winter, again, in the northern hemisphere. And here the sun, it's dark. Uh, again, winter, it's colder. And it, it requires a kind of fortitude, uh, a capacity for taking care of self a really boldly resourced self, one who can, you know, also take care of kids or pets or take care of the more than human world, who can learn what they need to learn to, to take care of self. That's the nurturing part. There's also the generative part. That's the one who can generate. Like this is the one who can, oh, I'm called to be a vision fast guide. How do I do that? I'm going to make that happen. Or it might be the one who, you know, I'm a designer. I'm a visual artist. I'm going to live that. I'm going to, I'm going to go around and find the vehicles that help me deliver that into the world. Like the vision I find in the West or in Seoul. Generator. This is the one who can generate it into the world. Yeah. So, so that's the nurturing generative adult is the archetype mm -hmm. to reclaim 
and I love somewhere along the way, you guys say like the, the vision that we get, the, the longing of our soul, the mm-hmm. expression of our soul it needs a delivery system. And that's right. the role of the ego and the role of the nurturing generative adult to yeah. create the delivery system for the, the mm-hmm. longing and the contribution of soul. Yeah. The vision. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. And people, you know, you don't have to come to an animus program or anything to do. Some people do this on their own because it's built into the psyche. They're delivering something, right? In right. Some their, way. their vision has become manifest in the physical. Yeah. 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 Your your ego is the handmaiden to soul. Soul is the real architect, the muse. Einstein told us this. He said. He said, I discovered all of my great discoveries, I'm paraphrasing, through imagination. I went into the laboratory to prove them right. The imagination came up with them, though, not his intellect. Yeah. Okay. In closing, you said that Bill Plotkin has an orientation to hope that is quite unique, and you're going to share it with us. So, Yeah. Well, and I heard Bill talk about it on a podcast, and I didn't know about it. I missed it. But in his latest book, The Journey to Soul Initiation, somewhere on the end, I think, of the book, he writes something about hope. And, he, and it's really brief. But they asked him, what do you, what's hopeful for you? And he said, soul. That the world, everything is ensouled. Mm-hmm. And that soul knows what to do. That's hopeful. When you tune into soul, it knows what you're to do in this life. Like we said earlier, come what may. But what's mine to do? What's my ultimate place of belonging? And can I go and root there and belong there so fully that it 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 you know changes the world or enhances the world? Not just sustaining. We don't want to, sustaining, we all talk about sustaining, but enhancing the world. That's a different thing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm I'm really feeling like the integrity and the um clarity of coming to the world with your soul means undiluted creative Mm -hmm. contribution versus if I got a bunch of ego layering and agenda and stuff like that, it really dilutes what it is that you would have to create. And Bill's partner, his uh, Mm -hmm. life partner, Janine, wrote a beautiful poem that you also want to share with us in closing. Yes. Yeah. for clo- It's a beautiful closer. And yeah, well, I won't say anything else. I'll just read it. It's called The Return. It's uh, Janine Marie Haugen. And she also guides Vision Fast, but other uh, animus programs. She guides a lot with Bill. Fabulous writer, poet. The Return. Someday, if you're lucky, you'll return from a thunderous journey trailing snake scales, wing fragments, and the musk of earth and moon. Eyes will examine you for signs of damage or change. And you too will wonder if your skin shows traces of fur or leaves, if thrushes have built a nest of your hair, (laughs) if Andromeda burns in your eyes. Don't be surprised by prickly questions from those who barely inhabit their own fleeting lives, who barely taste their own possibility, who barely dream. If your hands are empty, treasureless, if your toes have not grown claws, 
if your obedient voice has not become a wild cry, a howl, you'll reassure them. We warned you, they might declare. There is nothing else, no point, no meaning, no mystery at all, just this frantic waiting to die. And yet they tremble, mute, afraid you've returned without sweet elixir for unspeakable thirst, without a fluent dance or a holy language to teach them, without a compass bearing to a forgotten border where no one crosses without weeping for the terrible beauty of galaxies and granite and bone. They tremble, hoping your lips hold a secret that the song that your body now sings will redeem them. Yet they fear your secret is dangerous, shattering. And once it flies from your astonished mouth, they, like you, must disintegrate before unfolding tremulous wings. Mm. Wow. A return. Yeah. <laughs> so I asked you a few questions about what is a, a vision fast, but there it is right mm -hmm. there. That's it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. We but, often read that at the end of that, it. That's the yeah. before and after, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. This has been such a fascinating conversation. And I also want to point people to your website because, first of all, you're an incredible artist and they can see your art there, but they can also find out about your other offerings. So what is your website? Yeah, it's www.bodyartsoul.org. Okay, and I'll, link, I'll also link to it in the show notes, but sometimes people can't yeah. find those, so it's good that you said it too. And then yeah. you're both an animus guide, but you're also, like you work with people one-on-one -on, -one on journeys of soul encounter and soul initiation, so. Mm -hmm. I do, yeah. And is it, yeah. if people come to your site, are they able to see what your offerings are and learn a bit more about what you do? When they you would, yes, exactly. They could also go to Animus's website and learn a lot about this work too. There's more on there about the work, uh, written word, but, but me specifically to my website. Yeah. Okay, so I'll, I'll link to both of them. Thank you so much, Doug. It has mm -hmm. been such a pleasure to have this conversation with you. Thank you so much. Uh, it's been a pleasure and a delight. As you can tell, I'm passionate and love to talk about this. Thanks for joining us today, everyone. If you like the show, I'd so appreciate it if you could subscribe and share it with people you think would love it. It's an unpaid labor of love, and your support encourages me to keep it coming. You can find show notes, leave comments, and sign up for my newsletter at the podcast website, trackingyes.com. And you can find more of my work in the world at my coaching website, lizwilson.com. Talk to you next time. And in the meantime, have a great week and keep your compass lined up with yes. Yes.